0: Philippians chapter one, Philippians chapter one. Um, We have been working our way through the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And if you're new to Calvary, one of the things that we do is we'll take a book of the Bible, we'll start in the beginning, and we begin teaching our way through. That's primarily what we do on Sunday morning. So we find ourselves in this tiny little book called Philippians. So I want to put a map just to, by way of refresher. Uh, you'll recall, and we talked about this the last couple of weeks, that Philippi is in this area there in the middle of the screen, uh, just at the very top end, you'll see And right under there, is this town of Philippi. And it's, uh, it was in 51 AD that Paul goes there and he starts this church, that we refer to as Philippi or the Philippians. And then he leaves there and then it's 11 years later as Paul writes back to them, again 11 years later in 62 AD Paul is in Rome which is at the top part of the screen all the way over to the left. And Paul is a prisoner of Rome at this point. And Paul has been a prisoner for the past four years. And the first two years, he was a prisoner in a dungeon there in in northern Israel, in a town called Caesarea. And then he's transported to Rome as as a, a prisoner. But one of the things that we find, or what we found and we find, and we've looked at this the last couple of weeks that there on the top of your outline, in this book called the book of Acts, which is the history book of the New Testament, when it describes Paul's imprisonment there in Rome, it says, for two and a half years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and that uh, we underline rented, and welcomed all who came to see him boldly and without hindrance, and preached the kingdom of God, and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we highlighted that although Paul was a prisoner of Rome, at this point, he's in kind of a house arrest. And one of the questions that we asked that first week was, how does a guy who is a prisoner in Rome, who is wearing chains. And we looked at that, that he was actually wearing chains. He can't go out and get a job how is it that he has the finances to actually have a rented house? And what we found is it was because of this church in Philippi, they had sent a large financial gift so that Paul could move out of the dungeon and into some rented facilities. So Paul, the the first reason that Paul writes this letter back to the Philippians is to be a thank you note for their, for their support. As a matter of fact, in chapter one, verse five, Paul says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. We talked about that first week about how they had been supporting his ministry for the past 11 years. And then last week, you'll recall that Paul was in prison and uh, from prison, he's writing and he's talking about his, his reaction to everything that's going on. And so in verse 18, he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, he says, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice." Uh, Paul had made certain decisions about the priorities of his life. And because of that, even though his current situation was very difficult, he was still able to say, I rejoice because my purpose is the gospel. So whether I'm here, there, or wherever, this is what's most important to me. And then we came to verse 21. And you'll recall from last week, Paul makes this statement. He says, for to me to live, for to me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. And what we did at that point, we put on our outlines and we had for me to live is, and there was a blank. And the truth is all of us have to decide what goes into that blank, what goes into that blank. So we we left it there last week. Now there's a a couple of things that's important as we get into this. First of all, Philippians is considered by many to be their favorite book in the New Testament, but it's also the, the number one book, I would say, that tends to fly in the face of most of what we hold to in Western Christianity. And we're certainly going to see that today. And uh, as we get into this today, I wanted to ask just a couple of questions that can be running in the back of our minds as, as we go through some of these verses. First of all, the question I would have is, is what does it mean to be a Christian. What does that mean? What's the goal? Is the goal that we walk down the aisle somewhere and pray a prayer? Is the goal that we were baptized somewhere, we were christened? Is, is that the goal? The second question I would have, and we talked about this last week, is why is it that God leaves us here after we are saved, born again, we become believers? Why does he leave us here, not just immediately take us home? Is there something else? And then the, the third question would be that as Christians, are there expectations that God has of us? Not expectations to make us become Christians, but are there expectations that God has of us because we are Christians? And what would those expectations be? Well, what we're going to find is that the Philippian church, by and large, is doing great. So this is not going to be a letter of correction, but it's going to be a letter of encouragement. So we have to read it from that perspective. Each week, the big question for me is, what do you leave in and what do you leave out? And so today we're going to stick with just the main points. There's so much more. Uh, maybe we'll come back and pick up some of those later on, but today we're just going to focus in on some of the main points. Also important to understand that Paul's writing to a certain culture a certain group of people with a certain language. And sometimes in the translation, some things can be somewhat lost. So we're going to look at some of those things today. So you'll recall last week in verse 26, Paul says to them, he's writing from this imprisonment. He says, so that your proud confidence in me may, be, may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. And we talked about last week, Paul hoped to be able to be released from this imprisonment, and then ultimately go back and see the Philippians. But then we pick it up in verse 27. And I put verse 27 on our outline. I'm going to take it from our outline. So I hope to be able to be released and come see you. But he says, but whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves. And you see that word there. We'll come back to that in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Please underline gospel of Christ because he's going to tie whatever that conduct is with the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending. If you read this in your Bible, some of your Bibles might say striving, and there's a Greek word there, we'll come back to that, as one man, and then underline for the faith of the gospel. So Paul's going to point everything back to the gospel. And uh, Paul says, I want you to conduct yourself, live your lives in keeping with the gospel, worthy of the gospel. And the thing that we see about Paul is whether he's in prison or whether he's out of prison, whether he's free or whatever's going on in his life, he always conducts himself uh, in a way that's worthy of the gospel. But I wanted to come back to that word conduct there, there on your outline, that word conduct is the, the Greek word from which our English word politics comes from. And uh, there on your outline, a uh, palatumi. I'm, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, but you wouldn't know if I was or wasn't. But so, anyways, so, so yeah, it's palatumi. T- there. So, but that word, I put the definition there, it just means to behave as a citizen. Does everybody see that? It means to behave as a citizen. And uh, so the question that I need to ask myself here is am I conducting myself? Here am I conducting myself here as a citizen of heaven, and that's that's uh, what he's trying to get to. Now this is chapter one. When we get to chapter three, Paul is going to say there in your outline. But our citizenship is in heaven, and I want you to notice that word. It's the same word, a slightly different tense, but it's the same word. It just means to be a citizen. Now Paul is saying here that as believers, and he's writing to this church in Philippi, says you are to live your lives as though you are citizens in heaven. As, as Christians, as born again believers, our goal, our purpose has to be attached to the gospel. And that's what Paul keeps attaching it to is the gospel. And this is a great word to describe our, our relationship with God's kingdom to hold that we are citizens. Because what we find, and I want you to write this down, that citizenship comes with rights and responsibilities, rights and responsibilities, and and we all get that. You know, for for me, when I was 18 years old, I had to sign up for what they call selective service. Uh, we called it the draft. You had to sign up for that, and uh, so I did that. And ultimately, uh, I joined the army and I served my country through through the the military and the army. I found that when I got a job as a citizen, one of the things that I noticed is that our country places a high value on taxes. And uh, so there was a certain chunk of my paycheck that was removed. And if you don't think our country places a high value on taxes, just don't pay them for two or three years, and you'll find out real quick what a high value that is. Well, I remember when I was 21, there was a very kind policeman, and he explained to me that part of being a good citizen is to not drive my motorcycle at 85 miles an hour with an expired tag and a suspended license. And he explained that to me in the air-conditioned comfort of his car as together we drove downtown. Now, I'd like to tell you that I got the message on the first trip. But truth be told, it took several trips before I began to connect the dots and take my citizenship up a notch. (laughs) Am I alone in this? (laughs) I am alone in this. (laughs) Well, thank you for your righteousness. (laughs) So what you learn is that there's rights to being a citizen, but there's also responsibilities. You know, our country right now is very divided. And uh, there are those who are very frustrated that some want to come to the country, they want all the benefits, the rights that come with being a citizen of this country, and yet on the other hand, you know, they, they, there's medical and there's education and there's housing and some things that, that they really want, but they don't necessarily want the responsibility that comes with being a citizen, and that's very frustrating And yet some who are very frustrated about that are the very same people who will then come to church. And as long as we're talking about the rights and the benefits of our citizenship in heaven, they're all in. But the moment we speak of the responsibilities that come with that citizenship, all of a sudden, end of conversation, we don't talk about that, we're done. And sometimes we don't see uh, what I might suggest would be possibly our own hypocrisy. Our greatest citizenship is in heaven. Does that make sense? So I need to ask myself this question. When I think of my citizenship in heaven, do I only focus in on my rights and the benefits of that citizenship? Or do I also focus in on my responsibilities that come with that citizenship? Do I talk about my rights and responsibilities, but at the point where somebody begins to talk about my, uh, my rights and my benefits of that citizenship, but the moment that somebody begins to talk about my responsibilities, do I shut down? That's very telling and very revealing with where I'm really at in my spiritual walk. Well, Paul goes on and he uses that first illustration, but then he changes it. I want to read that verse again on your outline He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, always ties it to the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending, Uh, that word is also striving, and that word athleo as one man, and then once again, he ties it to the gospel for the faith of the gospel. Now, that word contending or striving, however it would be in your Bibles, is synethlea, which is a compound word. And it just means to wrestle in in the company with, to seek jointly. It's actually two words. So syn would be the word that we get, the word synergy. And it's defined like this. A primary preposition denoting union with or together by association companionship. So Paul is writing to a church. They are all together as a church. And so it's sin athleo. Now, athleo is the word that we get, our English word, athlete or athletics. And so that word just means a contest in the public to contend in the competitive games. Paul likens our being believers, and he's writing to this church in Philippi, as to being like a team striving together for one goal. And the goal Paul always brings us back to is the gospel. As one man in unity. I think that we are um, we are striving for the gospel. We're striving in unity when we all find our place in, in uh, on our team. And this would be our team. So it's it's striving for the gospel when the, the people get here at 6.30 in the morning and they begin to set up and they make the coffee and they put out the signs. It's, it's striving for the gospel when we give of our time and we speak into the lives of children so that parents can come in and, and hear the word. It's, it's, it's striving for the gospel when we uh, are part of the hospitality team or we're greeting or we're ushering or we're leading a group or we're finding our place where we're actively striving so that the gospel can go forward. That's the striving. So the question that we have, and I want you to write this down, have I found my place on the team and actively striving for the gospel? Can I point to a place where I'm actually participating as part of the team, sin athleo? Uh, or, or would I say, you know, I don't really do that. That's not really for me. Uh, I, I attend, I'm here, but don't talk to me about striving together as part of the team so that the gospel can go forward. My answer to that question is very telling as to about where I am truly in my spiritual walk. Well, verse 28, he says, In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And that too from God. For to you it has been, now my translation says granted, however your Bible says it, you might might say given, but you want to underline that word. Granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Verse 30, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul says you're now experiencing what you saw in me. Eleven years prior, Paul went to Philippi, and you'll recall the story. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. He was arrested. He was beaten with rods, and those scars would last the rest of his life. He was thrown into prison, and being thrown into prison, he says, What you saw in me, you're now experiencing, which tells us the Philippians are now, for their faith, being arrested. They're being beaten with rods. Uh, they're being thrown into jail, people are not doing business with them, family members are walking away. So it's it's a very difficult time for them. Now what's interesting is that in verse 29 Paul says, he says, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake. Well that word granted or given, some of your Bibles might say, charizomai, comes from the word charis, which is just the Greek word for gifts. And it means to grant as a favor. And I've put that definition there on your outline. So how in the world is that a favor? Well, you want to write this down. Their suffering was given as a gift from God to reveal their faith. See, the, the reality is that non believers will never go through difficulty for Jesus. Non believers will never put Jesus first above their own needs, above their own situation. The very fact that the Philippians in the midst of difficulty are still putting God first in their life, they're still enduring for Jesus only reveals that they're actually believers is the idea. That's why it's a gift. Right now, for you and I in America, we're not really going through intense suffering like that. As I read the Bible. If we're here for an extended period of time, if Jesus doesn't come back, that will be the experience, and the Bible is very clear about that. But right now, it's it's not that way. I mean, we've seen some people who say, because of my faith in Jesus, I can't, in good conscience, bake a cake, and uh, that's cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars for their faithfulness to Jesus. Um, but for us, it's not so much the persecution or the suffering. For us the question would be, and you want to write this down, maybe how far am I willing to be inconvenienced for the gospel? I went to a seminar all the way back at the beginning of the 1990s, and it was called Reaching the Unchurched in the 1990s, and the lead speaker stood up and he says, our research has concluded that there's only one thing that the church will not put up with these days. They will put up with bad teaching, they'll put up with heresy, they'll put up with absolute mayhem, immorality, but there's one thing the church will not put up with anymore, and that is to be inconvenienced. And it's amazing how true that can be. So uh, how far am I willing to be inconvenienced for the gospel?" Well, then we come to chapter two. Now, chapter two, you you have to keep in mind that when Paul wrote this, he didn't write chapters and verses. He just wrote a letter. A thousand years later, so that we could all turn to the same place, somebody went through and they put verses and they put chapters, but it wasn't written that way. So chapter two, verse one is just the next line. It's just the continuation. Now that's important because in my Bible, verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 1, begins with the word therefore. Now, how many of your Bibles will say therefore or if therefore or therefore if has the word therefore? Now that's good because that word is in the original language. Now some of you have a Bible that doesn't say therefore, and that's, that's sad, but that word is there in the original language. There in your outline, I put it, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ. So anytime you come to the word therefore, you always want to ask, what is it there for? The word therefore means based upon what I've just said, this is the conclusion or this is the step that you're to take. So therefore, based upon what Paul has just said, he says, you need to know this. So Paul is going to ask in the first verse, as he continues on, he says, he's going to ask four rhetorical questions and the the answer is all yes. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, which there is, if there's any consolation of love, which there is, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, and these are rhetorical questions, he says, then, verse two, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, uh, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and however your Bible says it, I've underlined the last part. In my Bible, it says intent on one purpose. Uh, Some of your Bibles will say one mind, but Paul has told us that we are focused in on one thing in the church. We are focused in on the gospel. That's what the church is all about. Making disciples, seeing people come to Jesus, that's what it's all about. If we are going to all be focused with the same mind and the same intent, the same purpose, then the way that we're going to do that is verses three and four. Verses three and four, he says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So for the sake of the gospel, the purpose Uh, Paul says that we're going to have to put the needs of others above our own needs. Paul is writing this to a church that's currently undergoing persecution. So in its context, you can read into this, put others' needs even above yours. So they're coming to confiscate your house, and they're going to arrest you as you're leaving. Don't just think of yourself. Think of your neighbor who they're also coming for them also. So you want to put the needs of others above yourself, even in the midst of persecution. As we said a few moments ago, the purpose of the church is to reach people and it's to make disciples. And it's okay. He says, you know, don't just think of of yourselves only. It's okay to think of yourselves. It's okay to have ambitions as some of your Bibles say, but just not only. The idea is we have to think of other people as more important than ourselves. So you want to write this down be intent on one purpose. The one purpose is the gospel. We will need to put the interests of others above my own. Here at Calvary, there is a verse that we have gone back to through the years that have helped us to define how we do, what we do, and and why we do it. And it comes from the book of Psalms. And David is writing, and David's getting up in years, and he says this, Now that I'm old and gray, don't forsake me, but give me time to tell this new generation and their children too about all your mighty miracles. David says, as I get older, my my passion is this. I want to be able to convey this to the next generation. Do you know that on October 1st of this year, an interesting statistic came out. There There are now more in our country more practicing witches than there are Presbyterians in our country, and you know what's becoming uh, very common is that every year the number of people who attend church goes down ever so slightly, and we've been very blessed that every year the attendance goes up. So that's a, that's a great blessing. And what we also find is that we're doing something that's very unique these days in church world, that is we open the Bible and we read through and we study and we see what the Lord wants to say, what he'd want to say to us, and how do we apply that to our lives. But when we talk about, now that I'm old and gray, don't forsake me, but give me time to tell this new generation and their children too about all your mighty miracles, what has had to happen is that for many of us, we've had to set aside some of our personal preferences because uh, we want to see that next generation reached. One of my favorite people in the congregation is a guy named Jack Burge. If you don't know him, you need to meet him. Jack turned 101 years old two weeks ago, and he's here every single week. And what I love about Jack, he says, I love it here. I love it here because I see young families opening their Bible, I see them studying, I, I see them you know, growing. Now I'm willing to bet that our musical style is probably not his first choice. But he says, I love it here. You know, I see these families. I see kids. I see, you know, they're opening the Bible and people are growing the Lord. He says, I, I, look, at, he says, I look at my kids and they're here and they're studying the Bible and they're serving. You know, his kids are in their early 70s, but, but they're here <laughs> and they're serving. And it's exciting. But here's what, here's, here's what has to happen. Sometimes we have to set aside our own preferences so that we can reach as God has called us to. So, Paul puts all that out and then Paul says, so let me give you the ultimate example of somebody who chose to think of our needs even above their own personal comfort. And so we're going to pick it up in verse five. In verse five, he says, have this attitude in yourself. And you want to underline that, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ. This is going to be the example. Verse six, who, although he existed in the form of God, and I'll come back to that word form, however your Bible says it, he did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a, my translation says bond servant. Some of your Bibles will say servant. Some will say slave. However it says it, you want to underline that and be made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, underline the word obedient, to the point of death, even death on a cross. So there, there's a couple of things in this real quick. This is the most christological verse uh, in the New Testament. There's this is the verse that says Jesus is God, and uh, very important. Paul is using Jesus not to, um, uh, he's using Jesus as the example here to a church that's already accepted that Jesus is God. We'll come back and unpack that in another study. But there on your outline, he says, Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, and there's that word morphe, uh, he existed of God, existed in the form of God, and that word is morphe. That word in the Greek just means the outward expression of the inward nature. So in times past, uh, Jesus existed in heaven when they saw him they saw God because that's who he was on the inside. And so just go ahead and, and write this down that Jesus is God. And if you've been here for any length of time, you know that that is the dividing line for everything that is Christian and everything that is not Christian. All Christians believe that Jesus is God. And everyone else believes that Jesus is God. It's the dividing line. It's the dividing line. So Jesus is God. So we get that. So But Paul says, I want you to have that same attitude that was in Christ. He's the example. So in verse 6, I put it on your outline. He says, although he was in the form of God and equal with God, he did not take advantage of this equality. The idea is that there was something more important so that Jesus, when he came to the earth, he was still God, but he set aside all of the stuff that came with being God. And uh, so in humility, we would say, and I want you to write this down, Jesus's concern was our need. He was more concerned about our need to be saved than his his need, we would say, to be the God of the universe. He was willing to set all that aside and then come to the earth as a man. Just as Paul in the first chapter said, "I'm, I'm more concerned about the gospel, and even if that means that I stay in prison, I'm okay with that as long as the gospel's going forward. One of the things that we miss about Paul's imprisonment is that all Paul had to do at any point was just simply to say, I don't buy it anymore. Uh, I might have been wrong. They would have let him go. But at this point, Paul's been in prison for over four years he believes. and says, if I'm in prison, it's for the Lord. That's more important, if God's carrying the gospel for that, that's more important than my personal comfort. So if Jesus was more concerned about our need, then the question that I need to ask myself is, am I willing to lay aside some of my preferences, my conveniences, so that others can hear about Jesus, so that others can come into a relationship with Him. What am I willing to lay aside so that that can take place? And my answer to that question is very telling as to where I am spiritually. Verse seven, we find that not only did He come to just meet our need, but He came as a servant. I put verse seven there in your outline. It says He took upon Him the form, and there you see that word "morphē" again of a servant. Now, again. Morphe just means it's the outward appearance, the outward expression of the inner nature. The reason that word is important here is when Jesus came here to the earth as a servant, he wasn't acting like a servant. It's just who he was. It was his nature to serve. When you and I became believers, the, the ideas that we embraced as he stepped in by his Holy Spirit, our nature was changed. And we began to take on the nature of God to become like Christ. Jesus would say it like this. For even the son of man on your outline did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All of Jesus's service was for the gospel. So the gospel could go forward. He didn't serve in the general sense that he found a good cause. All of his service had to do with the gospel. Paul points all of our service back to the gospel primarily. So the question that I have to ask myself is this, when the Holy Spirit entered me and I was saved, I was born again, I became a believer. Did I receive that part of him where all of a sudden there is a desire to serve In his kingdom for his purpose. My answer to that question is very revealing as to what's really taking place in my life spiritually. Jesus was the example. Another thing that we find in verse 8, and again we'll come back through this slower another time, he obeyed sacrificially as the example. I put verse 8 there on your outline. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. And it says to the point of death, but it didn't stop there. Even death on a cross. You know, it was probably very humbling for Jesus to leave heaven and all that went with heaven to come to the earth as a baby and to become a man. But even more humbling to die, but then it says even death on a cross. Crucifixion, was a form of death that Romans weren't allowed to enter into. Romans didn't die by crucifixion. Only slaves and the lowest of the low, and that was considered the worst of the worst, worst kind of death. And he was willing, on our behalf, to obey God to the point, not just to death, but to the most humiliating, horrific death imaginable for our purpose. So as the example, the question that I have to ask myself is simply, if I'm born again, saved, his spirit has come to dwell within me, uh, and God calls me to obey sacrificially, and I, I don't think God is coming to us saying, will you follow me and die a horrific death on the cross? I don't think that's for most of us. But what if God came to us and said, I don't want you to die on the cross, but what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to put me first in this area of your life. Would you be willing to obey that sacrificially? What if God were to say, "Um, I I want you to uh, participate with me in this area of service or ministry? Now, here's what it's going to mean. It's going to mean that you might have to rearrange some of your priorities. It might mean that you have to change some of your schedule. But I want you to participate with me, strive, sin at Leo in, in this area. Would I be willing to obey that sacrificially? My answer to that question is very revealing as to where I'm truly at in my spiritual development, my spiritual walk. Well, what I love about this is that this doesn't just leave Jesus sacrificing uh, on our behalf. That's a great thing. But God wants us to know how God responds because Jesus was willing. And he says in verse nine, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name, which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the glory of God the Father. And the next week he's going to say, so then, or based upon that, my beloved do this, but we'll pick that up next week. What I love about this is the idea that because Jesus was willing to go that far, God says, this is what I'm going to do on your behalf. For you and I, when you and I put God first, when we take that step, when we step out to serve, God says, when you do that, I want you to know I'm going to respond in eternity and it's going to be so much greater than anything you've ever done here. So Jesus becomes the example. And in that, when we've asked those questions, each of us have to evaluate. Where are we really? When we look at this, what Paul lays out, I'm reminded that Jesus said that on that day, many, and that word means mostly, will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we? And it lists all the things. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Could it be that because as we look at what we've looked at today, the truth is we didn't really follow the Jesus of the Bible. Maybe we didn't follow the gospel of the Bible. Maybe it wasn't the Holy Spirit of the Bible that we followed, but maybe we created another Jesus. We created another spirit and we embraced another gospel that looks almost nothing like what we see in the Bible. We don't do things to be saved, but because we are citizens, we live a certain way. How I answer these questions reveals the truth about where I'm really at. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, there in your outline, how do I live out the mind, the attitude of Christ? How do I get there? I want to suggest the first thing that we need to do is we need to pray. God, change my mind, change my heart, change what's on the inside. Because what Paul has laid out is very different than anything that I'm doing. And if that's the case, then we start. For some of us, we need to be realistic and say, I need to get saved. Because whatever that change was, that attitude, that mind that existed in Christ, it's not in me, not in me at all. And so for some of us, it might mean that I have to say, Jesus, Jesus of the Bible, save me, come inside me, change me. And you have the opportunity to do that today. But second of all, it's not just praying. I have to start. You want to write that down. I've got to take a step. Jesus says something very revealing. He says, but store it for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in or steal, but for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The, the truth is that whatever our treasure is, our time, our talent, you know, all of our life, where we're investing our life, all the things that God has given us, that's where our heart will be. The way that we change our heart to God's kingdom is we began to put our time, our talent, our treasure in God's kingdom. And what you find is that's where your heart begins to go in that direction. But we have to take that step. We have to start. I don't want anybody in this church to enter into heaven and find out we were following another Jesus, another gospel. Whatever change that took place inside of me looks nothing like what Paul talks about or what Jesus talks about. And on that day, I don't want anybody to say, Pastor Dan, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? So as we close today, each of us has to evaluate where are we really? And as we close in prayer, I want to give you the opportunity, first of all, to invite Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, to come in. And then beyond that, uh, to invite Jesus to change us so that we can become everything that he wants us to be. Let's pray. Jesus, as we wrap this up today, Lord, we realize that uh, all of us are in different places and we're here, we're here and we love you. We just want to make sure that the you that we love is the you that we find in the Bible. And so Father, as we look at the things that you've laid out as the example and the way Paul says that we're to live, first of all, Lord, for some of us, we just need to say, Jesus, come into my life I accept your forgiveness, step into my life. I want the Jesus of the Bible, save me. And as your spirit comes into my life, I'm asking you to change me. And I'll know that you really stepped inside of my life because there's going to be a change. Your spirit steps in, I'm different. And I invite you in and I wanna see that change and I want you to change me and continue and grow me. And if you pray that prayer and you invite him in, I want you to know that he promises to step in. He'll never leave. After the service today, there'll be some prayer partners standing by. They'd love to pray with you. Solidify that decision. Father, for the rest, Lord, we've had some great opportunity to evaluate where are we really in our walk with you? And we pray, God, as you reveal we choose to follow, to start, to go in the direction that you have for us. Lord, I thank you for this congregation, their love for you, the love for your word. Keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.